a story for you and an object lesson to go with it. And uh, I have a couple that volunteered to help me because I need some help with this lesson this morning. So uh, Brooke, she volunteered. She's going to come up first and she's going to help me. Now we got something we're going to do here and there's a real lesson we can learn from it. Can you see what this is? What is that? All right, that's some toothpaste, isn't it? All right, now let's take the cap off the toothpaste. Now you take that real careful. You take that now. We like it ready here. Now I want you to squeeze some of that out on there. Can you squeeze some of that out on there for me? Okay. Okay. Now we'll show them. You put the cap on for me. Now you just stay here a minute. Can you see that there? How she squeezed that out there? Now I have a question for her. Was that hard to do? No, that was real easy to do, wasn't it? Very easy to squeeze that out. Okay, thank you for volunteering. Now Erica's going to come up. She volunteered to help. Now here, you take that. Now you put it back in there. Can you put it back in there for me? You can't. Is it too hard to do? Oh, that's too bad. Wow. It was real easy to squeeze it out, wasn't it? But it was too hard to put back in. Now, do you know that, uh, that your words are just like this toothpaste? Now, think about that. There's a lesson for you here today. Your words are just like this toothpaste. Because you say words out of your mouth, and you may say some words that hurt people, that uh, really does a lot of damage and it's not good. And uh, you say, oops, I'm sorry, I'll take that back. Can you take those words back in? That's just as hard as putting that toothpaste back in here, isn't it? Now, you might say to your brother or sister, uh, you're dumb. You're ugly. Now, you could say words like that, and then maybe after you said them, you know, oh, they felt bad, and you did too, so you'd say, I'd like to take them words back. You can't take them back, can you? It's already hurt. Now, you might say to your parents, I'm not going to obey you. I'm not going to do what you say. And that makes your mother feel bad, doesn't it? And then you, well, maybe you shouldn't have said that. Can you take it back? No, you can't. It's too late, isn't it? So remember, the next time you brush your teeth and you squeeze out a little toothpaste, you think about the words that you say. You may say to some other, some of your classmates when you get in school or your brothers and sisters or some of your friends, be very careful the words that you say because you can't take them back. They've already hurt. So will you remember that when you're brushing your teeth, you think that out of your mouth can also come some words that can hurt. Thank you, volunteers, and all of you today for the story.
Okay, it's good to see each one of you here today. I'm happy to be here to participate in this last service of your transition period. I know you've had a long time, had a long time, you've been in transition, and this is the last Sunday, because next Sunday your pastor will be here, and you'll get down to a regular pastor, full-time pastor, one's going to stay with you and bless you, and you need to support him, and so on. So I'm just happy for the invitation and appreciate sharing with you a few thoughts today. Let me start out by just asking a couple of questions to see maybe, and I kind of anticipate about what I think the know the answers would be, but if I were to ask you, could you explain to me what it means to be saved? Well, you might come up with something, some idea, well, to be saved, it means you must must needed rescuing some way or another, and so somebody rescued you and they save you from whatever danger you might have been in. And so you know what a little bit of, you have a little bit of a concept what it is to be saved. Suppose I were to ask you, uh, could you explain to someone what it means to be born again? Well, you know you can't be born again physically, you know that, so you know it must be some other kind of birth, so it must be a spiritual birth they're talking about. Now, I would imagine if you've been around church very long anywhere, heard very many sermons or read the Bible itself, that you have a concept of what it means by using those terms being saved or being born again. But I want to ask another question today. Do you know what it means to be redeemed? Now, you sang a couple of songs about redemption today by my request, asking Wendy to pick out a couple on redemption, if she would today, for the preparation for this service, because I suspect that uh, you might have a little harder time explaining to someone what it means to be redeemed. In fact, the reason for that is there's so many different things involved in it. It's more than just one simple answer to redemption, because in the Bible itself, there are four different words that are translated redeemed or redemption, four different ones, and each one has a different meaning. So to understand redemption completely, you have to understand the meaning of all four of those words. Now, a little bit ago, you were asked to get your songbook ready and follow. Now I'm going to ask you to get your Bible ready because you're going to have to look up several references today to follow along so that you'll understand, really, all the different aspects of redemption. Turn with me, first of all, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, down in Florida, they all have the same Bible. We provide Bibles for them. When they pass them all out, I can tell them the page number because they all have the same one. But I can't do that with you here today, so you're going to on your own to find 1 Peter. So if you get to 1 Peter, look at chapter 1, and I want to read verses 18 and 19. Chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, 
but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now you have the word redeemed in there. You, you know, you understand. You know that you are not redeemed. Now the word translated redeemed there means to, to set free. To set free or to uh, liberate. Now, that's one meaning of the one word that's translated as redeemed, is to set free or to, lo- to let loose. Now, it so happens in the Bible that all these Bible readers, such as Peter here or Paul or John, all of them were familiar with the Roman Empire and familiar with the slave trade that went on in the Roman Empire and how the slaves were put up in the slave market and how they could be purchased out of there and set free. So all the writers of Scripture had in mind Roman slavery or the slave markets. And they understood redemption, how it was possible to free slaves out of the slave market. And that's the word that is used here, the act of liberating or setting free. Now actually, all of us belong to God by right of creation. We're all children of God by right of creation, but not all of us are children of God by right of redemption. Maybe a little story would help us understand that. A young boy built a boat. He liked to sail boats, so he built himself a little sailboat, and he often went down to the ocean and sailed that sailboat in the ocean. One day, he, he... wasn't paying too much attention, a little breeze come offshore, and first thing he knew, his sailboat was gone. Well, he felt bad. He'd made that himself, and now he'd lost his sailboat. But it so happened that a couple weeks later, he went down to a pawn shop in store, and he looked in the window, and he couldn't believe it. There was a boat in there. It looked just like his. So he went inside, and he looked at it, And it was his. There were some marks on it that he knew for sure that that was the one that he had made. So he told the pawn shop owner, he said, well, that's my boat. I made that. No, I didn't. I bought it. He said, I bought it. The kid brought that in and I gave him a dollar for it. But if you want it, you can have it for two dollars. So the boy went home, got two dollars out of his bank, came back and bought it. You see, he redeemed it from the pawn shop owner. He set it free. He purchased purchased it back. So that's the picture we need to understand. That's one of the aspects of redemption. It's a word that's used in here in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Now if you look while you're right there, back at verse 17, we can learn something else there. You notice the last half of verse 17, it says, conduct yourselves Throughout the time of your stay here in fear, conduct yourself, live your life, knowing that you've been redeemed from what? Notice in the last part of verse 18, you've been redeemed from your aimless conduct, your aimless way of living. So you have been bought out of the slave market of sin and that way of life, that style of life that you lived, You've been purchased out and set free from that. 
And that's, that's part of what redemption really means for each one of us. Now go a few pages to your right to Revelation 4, or Revelation 5, 9. Now keep in mind and add all this up as we go along. First aspect of redemption is the act of liberating or setting free. Now we're going to find out a different word that's translated in this verse. So in uh, Revelation 5, verse 9, it says, They sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now the aspect in view in this word that's translated here is that redemption is by purchase. God purchased us back to himself through redemption, by paying a price. By paying a price. Now this is going into the marketplace with the idea not just of shopping, but going into purchase. That's what men do when they go in the store. They go in to purchase. Women go to shop. Men go to purchase, right? All the men and women know that. We're all familiar with that aspect. Well, the idea here is the idea that they go in to purchase. They have some purchasing power. They take some money with them. They know that if we're going to buy anything, they'll need some money. So they take it with them. So the price of our redemption that Christ paid which made him worthy of opening the seals here in the chapter in Revelation, is that he paid the price. He redeemed us by paying a price for us, purchasing us, buying us out of the slave market of sin. He purchased us to himself and paid the price by shedding his blood on the cross. The same thing was given back there in verse in, in First Peter, but that's not the emphasis of the word there. It talked about we're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. So it's also mentioned back there. But this is the word that really has that meaning with it, to purchase by paying a price for it. Now go to Galatians 3.13. So we know that uh, redemption is, is uh, setting free or liberating and it's doing that by paying a price, whatever the price may be to do that. But now we come to Galatians 3.13. We have another aspect of uh, redemption in mind. So Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, for it is written, Curses everyone who hangs on a tree. Now get that phrase, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now this has to do uh, with the, the result of redemption. When the Lord Jesus pays a purchase price, shed his blood on the cross of Calvary to set us free from sin, the bondage of sin and slavery of sin, what's the result of him shedding his blood on the cross? It means that 
the result of the fact is there that uh, we're, we're set free from the curse of the law, redeemed from the curse of the law. Now notice it doesn't say we're redeemed from, we don't have to keep the law anymore. We're not redeemed from the law, we're redeemed from the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law? What happens when you break the law? You suffer the penalty. That's the curse of the law. When you, when you break the law, you become a lawbreaker, so you pay the penalty for breaking that law. When you're a sinner, you, you sin against God, there's a penalty for it, you pay the penalty for sinning against God. That's the curse. There's a price to pay for breaking the law. There's a price to pay for sinning. So the result here of redemption is that he purchases us and the idea contained in that word that's translated redeemed there is that he, he uh, redeems us from the curse of the law never to be returned to the slave market of sin again, ever again. Now therein is your security. Right there in redemption is your security when you've been redeemed, you've been set free from the curse of the law. The curse of the law is death. The curse of sin is death. The soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of sin is death. So you see, we are redeemed, and the result of this is the fact that we now have eternal life. Christ paid the price. Now we have eternal life. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, the curse of which is death. Now we have eternal life, never to be returned to that state again of death. Wow, you begin to add up a lot of things, don't we? But there's yet one more. So keep adding to this so you know, get the full implication here and all the aspects of uh, redemption. Go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Now we're still adding on to this idea and concept of redemption and all that it is. So in 324 it says, being justified freely by his grace. Let me stop there for a moment. Justification is the judicial act of God in declaring the sinner righteous. How does God do it? By being gracious to us, not giving us what we deserve, but giving us something we do not deserve. So being justified freely by his grace, but how does he do that? Through redemption, through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now this has to do with the destiny of where where we're headed in all of this. We are set free, we're liberated. The price paid for that's the blood of Christ. And uh, the result of it is that we're secure now, we have life. But we're looking forward because redemption is not yet complete. You need to turn to one more verse right here in Romans to finish this thought because you go from 324 Now go to 8, 
8.23, right in Romans. 8.23. Not only that, that means uh, we've already, according to verse 20, the preceding verse there, we've been delivered from bondage of corruption into liberty. But uh, in verse 23, not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the first parts of redemption. We've already experienced them. We've been given life, set free. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body. The redemption of our body. This is our destiny. Now, if, uh, if the Lord doesn't return, we will experience this redemption of the body when we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air and we're glorified. If we need to die first, then it'll all be in resurrection and glorification. But that's the destiny of redemption. We're waiting. And this old body that has all the aches and pains, and we could take an hour or so, each one explain to each other all of our aches and pains and problems we have in our bodies. Well, what are we waiting for? We've already been set free, forgiven, given life. We're waiting for the final destiny of redemption, resurrection and glorification. Now, you put all four of those aspects of redemption together and you have the total concept of redemption. But that's not the end of the story because for there to be redemption, there has to be a redeemer. Now, let's shift gears just a little bit and see see about the redeemer. Is there one? Who is he? Well, you probably know the answer, but let's follow through because the Bible gives us some some stipulations because not everybody can be a redeemer. So if you want to see now about the redeemer, you need to go back to Leviticus chapter 25. Now we're going to learn some things back there about the redeemer that are very precious. Leviticus 25. Let's start looking at a few verses in verse 25. 25, 25. It says, If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Now, while you're right there with that thought in mind, just turn a little ways perhaps to verses 47 and 48. Or 49. Let me start in verse 47. Now, if a sojourner or stranger close to you becomes rich and one of his brethren who dwells by him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner close to you or to a member of the stranger's family after he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him, or anyone who is near of kin to him in his family may redeem him 
or if he is able, he may redeem himself. Now, there are some qualifications to being a redeemer. It's called a kinsman redeemer here for the simple fact that the first requirement of a redeemer back here, the laws of redeeming, they had to be near of kin. Had to be a close relative. Now, whether they sold their possessions, went into bankrupt and sold their possession, whether they sold themselves into slavery, that some near of kin could redeem them. Had to be near of kin. Must be a kinsman. Now, let me tip you off right here now, just in case you didn't think of it or remember it. The Lord Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. Now, that tells us some things about him that become very important because that's why he came down, the Son of God came down to earth, took upon himself a body, became a man, or he couldn't be our Redeemer because he wouldn't be near of kin. He had to be related to the human race. So he had to be born into the human race to be a near of kin to meet that qualification. That's what he did in what we call the incarnation, where he came down and lived here as the Son of God and the Son of Man, totally God and totally man. So the Lord Jesus qualifies. He is a near kinsman. That's the reason we have to have the incarnation, why he had to come like that. But notice something else. He also had to be had to be willing. If it says if someone wants to do the redeeming, he had to be willing. Now, does the Lord Jesus meet that requirement? Well, I look back to the Garden of Gethsemane when the Lord Jesus was there when he prayed, "Not my will, but yours be done." It was God's will he died, and he was willing to die on the cross and shed his blood and pay the price, the redemptive price of shedding his blood. He was willing to do it. And so he qualifies in that aspect. Not only is he kinsman, he was willing to do the redeeming. Now look at verse 26. Verse 26 says, Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it. So another characteristic or qualification of a redeemer, he had to be able. He had to have purchasing power. You can't redeem something. You can't buy something out of the market or the pawn shop. You don't have a little money on hand. You have some purchasing power. The kinsman redeemer had to have purchasing power. You know what the Lord Jesus' purchasing power was? His blood. That's the price he paid. That was the price that he had to shed for us. So he met all those qualifications. Now it's also interesting to me to note that when the Lord Jesus came down in the incarnation, took upon himself a body, became human, He took upon himself, now get this because it's so important, he took upon himself human nature, not sinful nature, he took upon himself human nature. You see, if his father, if his father had been Joseph, 
he would have taken upon himself sinful nature. His father was not Joseph. His father was the Holy Spirit. So he qualified. He became human, but he took a human nature, but he didn't take a sinful nature. Very important, all these truths, that you put them together in understanding redemption and the Redeemer. One other thing that was needed for the Redeemer himself, not only did he need to be near of kin, and he had to be willing to do it, and he had to be able to do it, he also had to be sinless, because a person could not redeem himself if he were already already in the slave market himself. Now, that's why we can't save ourselves. Because we're already sinners. We can't have one sinner dying for another. So the Lord Jesus qualifies in this and the fact that he was sinless. I heard Dr. Jeremiah last night. He was amazed as he brought to mind, said he'd been thinking about the fact that the Lord Jesus, when he lived here on earth, never quarreled with anybody, never got angry and sinned, never did anything bad or wrong, never made a mistake, never. The Bible tells us he lived a sinless life. Now, he's, the Lord Jesus meets all the qualifications of the kinsman redeemer. And actually, in all the universe, in all of God's creation, there is absolutely no one else who could possibly have done this. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. The best person you can do it, the priest. uh, I was trying to think of that lady. Mother Teresa, she couldn't do it for you. Anybody, nobody can do it for you because they're not perfect. They don't meet all the qualifications. Angels cannot die for you because they're not related to you. They're not a near kinsman. They're not in the human race. It's another part of God's creation. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only possible one in all of God's universe who could redeem us. Aren't you glad today he did? He was willing to pay that price. Now put these few things together. As you understand redemption, what, where you came from, you were in the slave market of sin. You were under bondage and condemnation of sin. So through the redemption of the Lord Jesus, shedding his blood on the cross of Calvary, paying the price, he set us free from that, gave us eternal life with a future destiny of glorification with him for all eternity, And he's the only one that could do it, but he did it. Now, I trust that today that one of two things you'll realize if you've not been redeemed, you'll realize why you need to be. And if you are, you'll be so grateful that the Lord Jesus paid that price and redeemed you. Let's pray. Father, we pause in your presence, thankful for the Lord Jesus. He means so much to us because he has done so much for us. May we be willing to live for him who died for us. We thank you that he met all the qualifications. We thank you that he was willing to do it. 
certainly able to do it. He had purchasing power. He is the one who satisfies the Father through his perfect, sinless, substitutionary sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. We thank and praise you for what it means to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.